You're Smarter Than Us is a proud member of the Soccer and Sweet Tea Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Check out all of the coverage of Soccer in the Carolinas at Soccer, the letter N, Sweet Tea.com. You're listening to the You're Smarter Than Us podcast, Asheville's premier soccer podcast. Guys, welcome back to another episode of You're Smarter Than Us. We're going to take a little bit of a deviation from what we usually do when we kind of examine the ins and outs of the NPL, NPSL, easy for me to say, Southeast, or the WPSL. And we're, we're going to kind of go something that's going to stretch from coast to coast, something that means potentially a little bit more than what the box scores actually are. And we're going to talk about a campaign that is going on in the month of June called Pride Razor. And I've got three wonderful, inspirational people with me. Um, guys, can you introduce yourselves? Uh, my name is Galen Riley, and I serve Chattanooga Football Club as a volunteer with the Chattahooligans Supporters Group. Uh, my name is Becca Bryan. I'm, I guess we're all volunteers in the Chattahooligans. So, yeah, I didn't actually build Pride Razor, but I've witnessed. If you follow Chattahooligan on Twitter, Becca makes all the good tweets. Oh, yeah. She makes all the good jokes, <laughs> and then I steal them and then turn them into good tweets. He's not wrong. So I'm fessing up on that <laughs> here for the first time exclusively on the You're Smarter Than Us podcast. <laughs> I'm Dan Ryan. I'm the software developer behind the current version of PrideRazor.org and a Chattahooligan as well. Well, fantastic. And and before I forget anyone, what, there's some individuals up in Detroit that need to kind of be acknowledged too. They they aren't on the podcast proper, but they certainly had something to do with PrideRazor. Yeah, the, the, yeah uh, shout outs to uh, Dean Simmer and Jackie Carline in Detroit, Michigan. They were sort of the second PrideRazor campaign. It didn't have a name at the time. And then uh, shout out to Adam Cheslock in Grand Rapids. We brought him on this year to the admin team, and he is so valuable. So thanks to Adam. So Galen, can you describe what Pride Razor is and potentially um, it, within the slack of it, um, I saw something where you talked about that it basically started just in a, a group text or, or something similar to it. The, the, the history of Pride Razor is... We say it was accidentally founded in 2017, and basically kind of what that means is I was mad online about something, which I'm often mad online, um, sort of in early June 2017, and basically it was right before bed, and I was like, I want to do uh, uh, this pledge thing where I'm going to pledge, uh, you know, 10 bucks a goal that, that the uh, the good guys and good gals score this month and donate it to uh, this the Tennessee Equality Project was the first year, um, and does anybody want to match? And then... Uh, went to bed basically and figured, you know, maybe somebody would match or, you know, maybe two and that would kind of be it. Um, when I woke up the next morning, there were more than a dozen pledges and I had a message from um, Dean saying, hey, we're going to steal this idea. And I was like, sure, steal that idea. Um, and it really, it accelerated very quickly, even the first year. Um, we raised like $13,000 the first year um, across seven cities. So that's kind of the origin story, I guess. And what, what sort of growth did you see from the first year to the second year? Um, the first year we had seven campaigns, um, roughly $13,000. The second year um, in, in the off season, before the second year, um, I met Dan for lunch and begged him to accept this project, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into later. And he built the, the, the Predator platform 
Um, in the second year, we were in 29 cities. Uh, we raised $51,000, and this year we are uh, in like 50. And it's uh, we're, we're recording on the second weekend of June. Uh, it's a Sunday. There's, I think, 12 more matches today, and we're already over $21,000 for this month. Um, so, so I guess what is Pride Razor, just for the audience, is uh, it's, it's, it's a couple of components that all sort of join together uh, and make this great thing. It is a fundraising model, and the model is that fans pledge – uh, a couple of bucks per goal that their team scores um, during June. Um, it's sort of an, a, a collection of best practices for outreach for your soccer club, your supporter community to the LGBTQ community in your city. And it is also the third part, which uh, is, is what, where the magic happens, is the prideraiser.org software platform, which is um, custom design software to do Pride Razor very very well, um, and that's because of the website is, is has been has enabled us to to grow and do as much good as we're doing. What did it look like the first year? You said you brought Dan uh, on the second year. Was it more just loosey goosey well, kind of? The, kind the of first Facebook year was initially sort of a couple of bookmarks to Facebook posts, and the pledges were just in the comments. Mm-hmm. Um, then we upgraded to a Google spreadsheet. Uh, and then we upgraded to a Google spreadsheet template that other users could copy. And that's how we got into the other cities. Uh, the first website, uh, Dean has some uh, WordPress, which is just a, a kind of a blogging platform experience under his belt. So he tossed up uh, prideraiser.org the June 10th or June 11th of 2017. So it, we didn't plan on it. It just sort of kind of happened. And yeah, did I you the see... story you told me, Gail, and it was like, the 5th of June when you had the idea even so it wasn't even like it was already into pride month when the, the idea came to you yeah, I, I want to say the first post was like was super late on June 1st or super late on June 2nd except the pride raiser term uh, didn't come about until a couple of days later um, Becca who's with me here she, she reserved all of these social media handles we were going to CFC away to Nashville and she was in the navigator's chair yeah yeah, we made like a Twitter handle. We, we have an Insta- we have an Instagram account that we've never posted yeah. on. Did did you see any immediate comparisons to playing for Pride or whatever that campaign is, um, or some so, of the uh, other ones play, potentially? Play for Pride. We didn't know about playing for Pride until the very end of the month. Um, Austin Deleuze, I think, in mm-hmm. North Carolina. I'm getting his name wrong. Uh, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> um, he, he's a, a player for the North Carolina FC, formerly the, the Railhawks over mm-hmm. there. And he wanted basically kind of the same situation as us. He's like, we're going to do something to be an ally. We're going to, you know, wear our, wear our rainbow stuff and, and raise a little bit of money. Um, the playing for pride gimmick is very similar. He signs up instead of, so pride raiser is supporters group focused and playing for pride is uh, athlete focused. So he's got, um, something like a hundred plus players this year that are signed up for themselves and they're making a pledge for, you know, like five bucks per game they play is kind of the standard and asking some fans to match that as well. Um, so they're awesome. We get along really well. We do different stuff, but we're, 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 we're friends with, uh, with, with Austin for sure. And what was it? The presentation change going from those uh, WordPress and Google sheets into what Dan made for the second year that you saw such a monumental leap in engagement and pledges. 
the, the, the hook with Pride Razor is that you are in, so we have the Chattanooga campaign, and every different Pride Razor campaign, the money that they raise goes to a local cause that affects not just you know, the LGBT community in society, but a local organization. Um, so that's the focus of that. And then playing for Pride, we talked about um, Austin's funds go to um, a project called Athlete Ally, which uh, is kind of, it's like an education and lobbying organization for gay athletes. Um, so we sort of exist in different spaces. So Austin's, whether you're in Seattle or Orlando, it all ends up being funneled into a single charity? Yeah, that's correct. And, okay, and it so. works really well for them because it, it, you know, because what benefits gay athletes benefits, you know, all athletes in a mm -hmm. lot of cases. Um, so that's where the athletes that, that participate, mm -hmm. they go to playing for Pride. And the supporters groups, which are sort of, you know, civically focused, um, they come to Pride Razor and everybody, everybody benefits from both of those. There's not one platform or, or one solution that's better than the other for sure. So speaking about the platform, though, uh, Getting involved with the Sell So Blues campaign as I have this year, I, I was a little intimidated as the uh, <laughs> pre-interview tech mishap that happened that delayed us recording shows I'm, I'm not the most technology you know, savvy. But this thing is idiot-proof, as, as I'm proof of concept. Um, Dan, can you talk a little bit about um, how you managed to make a platform that is so incredibly user-friendly? Yeah, it takes uh, a lot of experience at doing this really to pull that off and I, it means so much hearing that you think it's that easy to use uh, that's always the goal and it, one of the tricks that i've learned in my career um, from some really good friends were like you know write it for someone that you know that you know couldn't do this so i tend to write software for my dad um, he's legally blind and really couldn't use any kind of computing device until the iPad came along and he could blow the text up and poke at it with his finger. Uh, typing was out, like he couldn't pull any of that off. So I always try to like make software that he could figure out how to use without me sitting down with him. So uh, the other thing is just don't put people through a bunch of hoops. Like I would rather do a little more work on my end to make things easier than do a bunch of training of everyone coming in to like, this is how it works and here's all the hoops you should jump through. Uh, that's lazy to software development, in my opinion. And and how did you guys manage to, I, I, I've seen a little bit behind the curtain this year, but it, is it just a combination of literal cold calling um, in terms of recruiting supporters groups and then using and leveraging previously um, curated networks? So the the soccer community really is, is kind of big, just one big giant dysfunctional family um we exploit the relationships that we have so, so uh our Chattanooga FC plays in the the NPSL Southeast if you're listening to this podcast you probably know that already but we've got all but one supporters group in the NPSL Southeast on board just because we have those existing friendships out there and then they tell a friend and they tell a friend and in a couple cases we've like just reached out to a group that's how we we ended up with the American Outlaws um predators going to the World Cup this year which is crazy exciting um but typically it's 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 traveled organically through existing supporter relationships or just like we've announced that we're taking applications for this campaign season uh and people will come in through that so but but that but that, that all comes through like a retweet so it, it's 
it's it's at least a person connection at some point. So, Galen, one of the things that I've seen recently that really kind of put me on my butt and and made me you know really appreciate everything that we've seen recently was an article that you were quoted in. I don't remember what Chattanooga um, press outlet it was in, but you were saying something along the lines of, you know, m- most CFC fans are not soccer fans. They're CFC fans. And it that that's a byproduct of CFC becoming a manifestation of the best that the city has to offer. And it just so happens to be in the realm of soccer as opposed to some other venue. Does does the ability for each Pride Raiser campaign to reflect uh, a charity or an outlet of its choice that it may think is essentially its own community's uh, best option for those pledges to be funneled to part of the success of this uh, pride raiser? Um, I, I think that's one of the kind of the part of the pride raiser special sauce is that it is customized. Um, so like in Detroit, for example, uh, the Northern Guard and the Detroit City uh, FC fan base has become over the last couple of years, basically a major donor to the Ruth Ellis Center up in Detroit, which is um, they have a ton of programs. But but they're first and foremost, they're they're like a shelter for, for homeless youth is one of their their core functions. Um, but we have um, campaigns like like in Mobile, Alabama or Little Rock, Arkansas, some some more southern states. Uh, or cities that you know like don't have an active youth shelter so so in little rock you know they they pledge to rainbow mobile which is basically the, the city pride organization that puts on the pride festival um so every supporters group is able to select something that makes sense for them enables and that enables them to do some good in that community and we also encourage all of our campaigns to form a relationship and do outreach to whatever the organization is and, and or rather do outreach to the local LGBTQ community by working with the organization directly. Um, we saw huge dividends for that in Chattanooga. We've got um, a ton of brand new fans, brand new season ticket holders that have come in because of the Pride Razor outreach. And we've got somebody who showed up as a brand new fan last June and is now in our supporter leadership because she just jumped in both feet uh, and, and, so, it, so the so the supporters groups and the clubs benefit um, as well with additional ticket sales, a larger fan base. Um, supporters groups have larger memberships as a consequence. So, just everybody wins, and it's because the campaigns can customize what they're doing for what makes sense for their situation. And Becca, what why do you think it is such a phenomenon that lower league soccer, or maybe even soccer just in general? I'm not. I'm not super steeped in MLS, uh, just business practices and kind of inside baseball stuff there, but specifically the lower leagues here in America, why do you think it tends to be such an amazing platform for some of these civic minded campaigns as opposed to what we see minor league baseball or minor league basketball or even the professional ranks in those sports? I think there's a lot of sort of independent soccer club culture and the fact that this podcast exists is kind of a evidence of that, you know, like, um, and, and like we talked about earlier, the, um, CFC fans aren't necessarily soccer fans they are just engaged community members that like to show up and hang out with other Chattanoogans on the weekend, um, sort of tailgate and drink and yell together. 
Um, I mean, the soccer is always fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. That's the reason everybody's out there yelling. But um, the fact that it it's there for the community, you know, there are people from the LGBT community in the stands. They're there. They're present. They're part of the community. Um, and I feel like it, it reflects that. It's not just the supporters group doing outreach. It's that they're they're there, they're in the stands, they're, you know, standing there drinking and yelling with the rest of us. So um, as far as it being soccer specific, I feel like soccer is always sort of community based, especially in um, lower division American soccer. You know, you don't have a lot of people going to, I don't know, like college basketball games <laughs> that are um, quite as involved and crazy about it as we are. Um, I mean, just look at Detroit and what they've done with um, DCFC. There's so freaking many of them, <laughs> and they're so into it. Um, soccer, you get to get out there and, and um, like watch it really closely. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the ultras kind of, you know, ultras are, are bad mostly, but they're, they're really into it. It's not like European soccer culture. I don't know. You get to represent your city and they're all unique and they all kind of have their own little personalities to grow out of that. So, um, you know, ours is always boosting Chattanooga. Is it partially because um, soccer has a kind of a countercultural streak in it? I know here in Asheville, one of the things that I absolutely love specifically about Asheville City is that you know, we, we play our games in this gorgeous stadium up on the hill. We have this fantastic title sponsor that is also very um, community centric and came, you know, literally out of the ground in Asheville. It wasn't a corporate sponsor from another city that just kind of dumped money onto the front of a kit. But there's no there, there's no rules yet with lower league soccer. And it's almost like you you can make things up as you go and and I feel like that's a lot of how fundraising and uh, community outreach is too, that there's no wrong way to do it per se. It's just whatever's most effective and what's effective in Asheville probably isn't what's effective in Seattle and isn't what's effective in Phoenix. Do, do you guys see the same thing in Chattanooga that it's almost like because somebody can't tell you no or doesn't know to tell you no, that there's no such thing as an idea too small or too big? Yeah, I mean, we're, I feel like we're always pushing back on the idea that, um, you know, the, the soccer team should be owned by some corporate entity. Um, grassroots is a part of the uh, culture, you know, from the top down, too, in this particular scenario. You know, the owners are local. We've got, you know, we had the ownership drive, and it's there's a lot of fan ownership now, too, so... The supporters group has always been separate from the front office, and I don't think that will change. So, you know, they can't really, they could tell us where to tailgate, but as far as the fundraising I've, efforts. I've, I've uh, always said that the success of, of Chattanooga has come from nobody told us that we weren't supposed to do it this way, that we were doing it the wrong way, because nobody really cared outside of Chattanooga. So there wasn't a model to follow. So we just, this is how we do things and it seems to be working, um, but there's no existing rule book. So yeah, I totally agree. Like there's, there's, the rules aren't written yet. We're writing them as we go. And it's cool to be a part of that. 
And and Pride Razor probably came out of the same ethos, honestly. It's like this is just how we're gonna do stuff. We'll figure it out as we go, and then especially with we'll find success in it. Choosing a local nonprofit that has local impact on you know people that you directly interact with in your community, I feel like that's part of the the important thing. It's not just going to some huge national charity. Um, it's going to help people for you know whatever their chosen charity does. Um, you know, right there in the the club is for so that's that's always good. Yeah, but most almost all of our campaigns have somebody that they can call at their beneficiary organization that they that they know by name, and that's and relationships are what powers everything, especially down at this level. Yeah, so Pride Razor gets bigger and bigger, but the money stays local. And Dan, have have is there any other um, leaps that you see in the future of the platform itself? Anything um, that maybe you can forecast and see ways of making it better, ways of making it, um, you know, even more easy to use? I don't know about the more easy to use part, but we we've, we've got some ideas of places we might go with it. One of the things we've kicked around back and forth the last two years is if we ever want to introduce like leaderboards. So an individual uh, pledge donor could they get a, a, a link for themselves to go get their friends to do it and then get credit for it and sort of do a non-sketchy multi-level marketing approach to this. <laughs> like um, I think that could be pretty fun for people, like just have some competitive spirit around raising. So not just having the supporter groups, like one supporter group per club be raising money but like within that there's some like fun rivalry around who can raise the most money that's probably the the big one um we've we've already made some changes this year that i think we're are going to get bigger and bigger around corporate donations yeah, to match to with the pledging and I, I what i'm hoping we can pull off by next year is actual matching of pledges so if you make a pledge in this time frame some company will give you know for every dollar you give they'll give a dollar um so we can do that i know that from uh, i have some background working in politics and those kinds of match campaigns tend to drive more donations so i think we can uh, get even more money into these communities if we can work out that those details and we'll, yeah and for a local nonprofit too so like people always apologize like oh i can only give five dollars or ten dollars i know that doesn't make a difference it's like if everybody mm -hmm. that could only donate five or ten dollars didn't <laughs> we would be in a really bad spot like it mm -hmm. it adds up like you wouldn't believe especially for some of these smaller nonprofits. you know we paid the rent yeah in dc yeah, we, yeah the new university center they, we paid their their rent last year so it's significant yeah and Dan, what were those two? I know there's two big corporate sponsors that came in this year, but even the two corporate sponsors, one in Detroit and one in Louisville, is that right? So I know we had Lyft in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And Galen, who was the other one? So uh, the, the new feature that we're, we're rolling out now um, is partner contribution. So if you have, if your campaign has major support from an outside entity, that's not just like somebody wants to drop in 50 bucks but not deal with the pledging, we're discouraging that. Um, the big one is is Lyft in Detroit. They're donating a, a buck for every ride to and from Keyworth Stadium uh, over the course of June. And those 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 dollars are going to add up. Um, we, we're going to see club support from Nashville SC. Um, they've done a limited edition Pride scarf. They're going to kick back 
and Louisville City FC, um, they did this this gorgeous uh, rainbow sash uh, warm up jersey that they they, they called uh, we didn't call it the Pride Razor jersey, but they called it the Pride Razor jersey. So <laughs> we're sticking with it. Um, and they're gonna do they they they're sending the proceeds to the same charity. So it's entities are supporting the same. Uh, beneficiary organizations that the Pride Razor campaigns are, mm-hmm. and we're going to include that sort of in the end of month calculation for how the math works out. Um, and now that we've seen a couple of these, we kind of expect to see more. I think one of my yeah, favorites, one of those trends you can really get rolling is you don't want to be the company that isn't supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the really interesting things in my lifetime is the the sort of brand embrace of the pride flag is like mind boggling to me to go from a frankly an environment that was pretty toxic growing up as a gay kid in the south to like there's a gay pride flag everywhere um i have a a pride flag debit card personally and like the amount of people i get tell me in a given week like i love your card i'm so like so happy that, that you're here and you're you know and it's like that has all changed so i think we can take advantage of a lot of that ethos now and, and get more of these partner contributions and really amp up what we're doing. Yeah, I think one of my favorite things that I've seen develop, especially from being in the Slack with you guys, and I mean, Lord knows that the um, the footwork, the legwork had been done way before I joined, but has been this almost like cabal of um, the best of the best across the country in we're the losing, yeah. leagues that you guys have yep. kind of brought together. Um, you know, the Mike Pendleton um, scarf, the um, I, I mean, there's even uh, on Twitter, we can always banter back and forth between USL and NPSL and, and D2 and D3 and D4. And we all have our kind of personal beliefs on how the sport itself should unfold across the country and what the Federation may be doing, what the Federation isn't doing. But this this Slack channel where every, you know, a lot of people are kind of asking questions and, and joining in and talking to each other, there's no animosity. It's it's everybody just lifting each other up. It it really is kind of the the best of the best across the country. And and do you see any future in leveraging that sort of collaboration and cooperation on other campaigns or just kind of sticking around and making this the best it possibly can be? So we've we've pondered that just a little bit. Like we haven't figured out what to do with it yet, but we definitely have um, just, so we said Pride Raiders is a coalition of supporters groups and we've definitely got a, a lot of brain power and a lot of kind of social influence collected all in the same space mm-hmm. um, just with our own campaigners. We don't know what to do with that yet, but there's definitely um, some unrealized opportunities. There's already um, sort of just regular chatter back and forth during the week between you know the officers or the campaign leads for each supporters group. You know, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do I approach this topic? Or how did you solve this problem in your community? So just the, the pride raiser campaign leader community itself is already making those individual supporters groups better and those you know those clubs better as a, as a consequence um we don't know how to leverage it yet um frankly that's another project that that i don't think i want to take on right now um but there's definitely a a, a big opportunity there yeah this the platform was was not built to be an annual thing it was it's built to do as many campaigns as we want and and overlapping ones. In fact, we, we just set up our first sort of overlapping one where we have the American Outlaws have their own sort of something going on this season. 
so I, I think as the groups get to working together more and see these opportunities that they may find other things they want to raise for in different parts of the year through different ways. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to help with that. So, but just so it's like, since we're here, like, so, so Dan, what sort of design considerations or UX considerations, like from your perspective on the software side, what makes Pride Razor a success? I think the, the biggest thing that makes it success, successful is we're not a corporation. We're not governing by board. Uh, you all gave me the freedom to go in and put some best practices in place. So like, there's nothing on those campaign pages that doesn't need to be there. We don't have distractions. It's a simple ask, pledge, you know, X dollars per goal for your local club. And we only ask for the amount of info we need to, to pull that off. So your email, your name, do you want your name displayed and how much are you willing to give done? You know, like there's nothing fighting for your attention on that page. It's come make a pledge. That's I think one of the biggest things. Yeah, I guess you have to you have to scroll down to even do a whole lot of reading. You're just if you want to pledge a buck, you just press the big button that's glowing at you and and do the yeah. thing. Well, specifically from a design perspective, the we call the hero image. The image at the top of the page is designed to be slightly taller than most laptop screens, so that you don't know if there's anything below it to do besides make your pledge. Like it's, if you want to scroll and read some content, so you watch pledge, that's cool. But that that's not what you're there to do. We're we're there to get you to pledge a dollar, pledge they, five bucks, pledge whatever. Yeah, presumably they already clicked on a link, so they're there to make the pledge. Yeah, like they either got here because they got asked on Twitter or on Facebook, or they Googled looking for it and found like the the intention's already there. We don't need to sell them on the concept usually. Like they just. It's really quick. I'll, I'll approach somebody at a tailgate and just, I'll, I will have pitched them. And you're right that by the time they pulled out their phone, they're, they're just, their mind is made up. So there's no extra work to be done. Yeah. That's really clever. It's good to get that sort of perspective on it. Yeah. And most people, when they're building websites, um, they think that they still have to do marketing once they've already made the sale. And it's like, so you have to realize when you close the deal and just sign the paperwork and be done. Um, and people are not very good at that in general. That's really fascinating. So, so Becca, you've got a lot of, of nonprofit, just kind of day-to-day, -day, it's in your soul. From, <laughs> from your perspective, is there a particular like nugget in front? Because we didn't, like my goal for Pride Razor year one, before it was Pride Razor was, if we raise like 200 bucks, I will be super satisfied. The nugget is that you're not raising money, you're telling people to donate directly to a charity. So really, you're coming up with a number and then hoping that people follow through, but you're not actually doing any transactions or anything like that, which would be insanely complicated and not worth it. And we wouldn't be here talking about it if that's what you try to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I would rather not have to be responsible for somebody else's money. Why 501c3 exists. <laughs> <laughs> There's like hoops you have to jump through in order to be responsible for somebody else's money. That's when, right. When they're pledging. Yeah something so you don't have to do any of that you make a shiny website where people pledge and then you bother them to follow through at the end of the month and ta-da that that's really helped um us recruit other supporters groups i think is, is very low maintenance is it's it's it's, yeah. it's no it's zero effort like, on their end not on dan's end yeah not on dan's end but but a support group they they, they sign up it's like a simple Google form. They type a paragraph, you know, a, a few sentences when they create their campaign, 
And basically after that, they don't have to keep track of money. They don't have to have the responsibility of holding money or paying money. They just, they make the tweet to say, make a pledge. And then they refresh their campaign later and the numbers have gone up. And just sort of deepen your lizard brain the notion that if I make a post, then money happens, I think has probably helped us. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree that not being a, a middle broker for the money, that we, we don't take any money. It just goes directly to the beneficiaries. is a huge thing because there's no trust. You don't have to trust Pride Razor because we're not doing, we're not taking anything from you. We're not we're just, yeah, we're just asking you to tell us that you're going to give and then telling you where to go give and you go give over there. Um, so there's also some real magic in because this is you know, supporter group focus, you, you're already involved in your local supporter group to have seen this messaging most likely. So you, you already have some trust there. You love your local club. Otherwise you wouldn't have gotten a message to come donate, right? So two of the, the, the four entities involved being the club itself, the supporter group, Pride Razor itself, and the beneficiary, you already know two of them. Those two are vouching for these other two, and one of them you don't actually have to trust because we're not actually taking anything from you. It it just I think gives people a lot of ease that this is a like this is a safe thing to do, and there's so many people that are willing to give into LGBTQ charities at this point, but they they don't know which ones to give to. And one of the things I love about working on this is getting to see these different organizations around the country that are doing amazing work that I like, they're local and I would never have heard of any of these groups um like there's one i'm trying to find who's behind it but there's one group that their whole uh, issue is around um legal help for trans folks who are incarcerated and like like that's such a specific thing that is a real need and like i would have never known that this group existed and that i could give some money to them to help with that without pride razor yeah, that's the that's the cosmos campaign that's that it's insane that i cannot keep track of them. we were tracking i think like 24 matches yesterday yeah the, yeah the match day has gotten really something yeah we're gonna have to add some more twitter admins <laughs> i know this is kind of neither here nor there but vocally and visibly doing pride razor promotion sort of sends a message to folks in the lgbtq mm -hmm. plus community that it's a safe place for them to come enjoy a saturday Yep. Um, without, you know, they can come be themselves and nobody's going to hassle you. You're welcome just like anybody else. Um, and everybody's welcome in the section. So you, you can't, you, you can't really take that for granted in, in Tennessee. And especially, especially for it was some of our cities that we have campaigns in, I, I'm sort of, sort of surprised to see them pop up and to be successful. Um, and that's, that's, that's sort of been educational for me. Like, like yeah. you wouldn't expect to, that Chattanooga, Tennessee would be one of the, the top campaigns perform performance wise yeah is that a byproduct again kind of what we were talking about with soccer being a little countercultural at, at times at least in lower league possibly even more so do you, why do you think soccer inspires um inclusivity and i mean you can even look at um you know we mentioned detroit detroit has a streak of um i wouldn't go as far to call it antifa but i mean certainly like what's saying you know they're loose partnership with St. Pauli and of course what St. Pauli just did with the Cosmos and the Cosmos I potentially would go as far to call some of their supporters groups Antifa. Um, 
where where does that come from? What why do you think soccer inspires that in a lot of individuals? I mean, the Antifa thing seems kind of imported from groups like St. Pauli, um, but I think that the the community spirit of it as a supporters group, you know, you were really not beholden to any larger organization than yourselves and you can fight for stuff you believe in without, you know, you, you don't represent a company, mm-hmm. you represent your community and you can use that as a platform to, you know, improve your community however you see fit and that's valuable. I yeah, don't know. And there's there's something too about the fact like soccer itself is inclusive in a like economic sense because you just need a ball to play. Yeah. So like it's why it's the most popular sport on earth. Like it doesn't you don't need a need a some relatively flat ground and a ball and people. It's a it is just a broader community because you you don't have that. Like, so many of the other sports like you have to have money to even be able to be outfitted to play. So it's already an exclusionary act to just play football. Um, yeah, you can't you can't go play like American football with the kids in your neighborhood, really. Right. Or hockey. But there's, there, yeah, the, we're all aware of the intricate league system that exists <laughs> for soccer. So there's a lot of lower division teams in a lot of places that would, you know, like Mobile, places that yeah. Wouldn't have a big deal soccer team necessarily, but that like there are folks who are totally willing to go out and have a tailgate and show up at the match. I just, you know, that's pretty unique to soccer. Yeah, one of the, I think you found something interesting is that so all of our campaigns are sort of with, um, we call them independent supporters groups. So it's the differentiation there is not like an official fan club, like you sign up with like an email list through the team website or something. Um, so they're independent groups and especially down here in the MPSL, um, the season lasts like two and a half months and you've got a whole year, you know, to, to, to stay busy. So the community, the supporter community exists not only outside of match day during the season, but there's, there's, you know, three months on nine months off. So you've got to do things to stay active and keep your community, uh, engaged and busy and occupied during the off season. Um, and as a consequence of that, you figure out, you know, what are the priorities of your community? Do you, do you get together and, and do this thing or that thing? You know, here in Chattanooga, we're, we're in the, um, the big winter parade. You know, that's a big tent post experience for us. And we've got you know, monthly bar meetups. But we've got things that keep us busy. And during that busy time, we sort of, these are the things that we want to focus on. These are things that we feel are important. Um, so we advocate for all sorts of stuff. And soccer is kind of the underdog sport to begin with. In the southern USA. Chattanooga's an underdog town. Chattanooga's an underdog town, and we, you know, that's kind of true, and that's why you've got such awesome support in Detroit as well. I feel like they've got kind of the same ethos. Yeah, it's this sort of a culture of service that permeates supporters' communities, and the Chattahooligans are fantastic, awesome people, every single one of them that just bust their ass uh, year-round to make this club work. Yeah, I mean, TIFO flags. There's teams of people doing so much work. Yeah, all, all the yeah. time. All the time. I would be completely remiss if I didn't ask you at least a little bit about your soccer team. Um, how how are you guys feeling about the way things are going in Chattanooga this year? 
We, we are we're turning it around. <laughs> uh, we, we had a sort of a, an odd preseason with the kind of several kind of training camps that resulted in big time games and just threw players out into the uh, to the deep end of the pool. And we did not have the strongest start in league play, but uh, we put four goals on Nashville on a, on a rainy night last night. And so we're going to call that the turning point. Uh, on onward to winning uh, what I call the double, which is the NPSL title and also the Founders <laughs> Cup championship. Is this is it happening the way that you thought it was? Obviously, you guys had a very tumultuous kind of fall last year. Lots of um, lots of changes. A lot of new neighbors coming into town. Um, the announcement of the Founders Cup. If if in November you guys were sitting there and kind of forecasting ahead has it happened the way you thought it was has the city rallied around you guys the way that you thought it would have there's <sighs> <laughs> so much was said right there <laughs> I think to the the point that Galen and you know Becca were making earlier like it's not soccer fans it's CFC fans and I, I think if you look at the attendance that's borne out um, I'll go out on the limb and say that yeah, we're 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 fighting for our lives right now, but but we're still alive and we're still fighting. So that's that's where we're at, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna keep putting in the work. No, you you guys do a great job, and you certainly um, you give everybody else something to aspire to. So please please don't ever doubt that. Uh, Galen, Becca, Dan, thank you guys so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, guys. If you have um, any questions about the Pride Razor, please check them out on Twitter um, at Pride Razor. You can also go to prideraiser.org and you can see all the different campaigns. A lot of the campaigns now have kind of a geographical component that if you have the location services pulled up on your phone, it, your local campaign or whatever you're geographically closest to should come up at the top. So if you guys haven't That's already pledged to the Asheville campaign or the Greenville <laughs> campaign, um, uh, please do so guys do you have anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here uh support your local football club don't put off pledging any longer than you yeah, already have put in your pledge <laughs> yeah put your pledge in now pledge whether you pledge a dollar then i pledge at all it's every 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 dollar adds up absolutely awesome guys thank you again thank you thanks thanks your Smarter Than Us is brought to you in part by Tasty Beverage Company, a beer store and bar on Asheville's South Slope. In addition to featuring a world-class selection of local, regional, imported craft beer, Tasty also carries a selection of specialty beverages like natural wine, cider, and craft sodas. This year, Tasty will be showing Asheville City away games all season long, so go visit them at 162 Cox Avenue across from Swannanoa Cleaners and make sure to let them know we sent you. I guess that's why they call us the blues. Time on our hands could be time spent with bruise. Drinking like tourists, yelling like drunkards, scoring some sunners will win you over. And I guess that's why they call us the blues. You've been listening to the you're smarter than us podcast shoot us an email at your smarter than us at gmail.com or find us on twitter at y-o-u-r-e underscore smarter